Good morning, everyone. Welcome here. And uh, so once again, in Bonnie's absence, um, I'll be doing the music this morning. So those of you who know Chris's parents, Gary and Diane, it's Gary's birthday. So they were asked to come for lunch today. Chris and Bonnie were, so they are off to Camrose to see Chris's parents. So that leaves me here this morning. Going to start off with singing To God Be the Glory. It's number 66 in your hymn books if you want to follow the follow along in your hymn books. Uh, or I think Cam will get the words up here, hopefully. Uh, and then right after, after uh, we're done with uh, To God Be the Glory, we'll sing that chorus, He is Lord. Sing that through a couple times. That, that's 105 in your hymn books if you want to be prepared to turn and go from 66 to 105 or you can just follow along on the screen that's okay too let's stand Yeah. 
Thanks, you may be seated. church this morning. It's good to have you all here. We all, we blew in from the south. <laughs> Crazy winds we always seem to get in the spring, but anyway, good to have you all here. Let's, uh, if you want to open your bulletin, we'll all read the, uh, the call to worship together. It's from Psalm 145. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wonderful works I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you uh, for this morning, Lord. Thank you that we can gather once again in, in your church here in Lashburn, Lord, to, uh, to worship you and to fellowship together and, to, and just to praise you together, Lord. We just pray for those who are unable to be with us here this morning, Lord, that you will be with them, uh, have your hand of protection on them, and just give them a, give them a good day, Lord, where, wherever they are and whatever they are doing, Lord. And once again, we just, uh, we just want to hand the service over to you, Lord, and to your name, to your glory. We pray. Amen. Glenn will be doing the scripture reading this morning. For our scripture reading, scripture reading I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, and we will read the entire chapter. Acts 26, starting in verse 1. Agrippa said to Paul, You are uh, permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. In regard to all the things of which I am accused of by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I am able to make my defense before you today, especially because you are an expert. In all customs and questions among the Jews, therefore I beg you to listen to me patiently. So then, all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem. Since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. And now I am standing trial for the hope and the promise made by God to our fathers. The promise to which our twelve tribes hope to obtain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O King, I am accused, I am being accused by the Jews. <coughs> Excuse me. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise, raise the dead? So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them, often, in all the synagogues. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. 
And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them to even to foreign cities. While so engaged, as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me, and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, who are you persecuting? But get up and stand on your feet, for this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you to... Uh, Point you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sacrificed, pardon me, been sanctified by faith in, in me. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those in Damascus first and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So, having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying to both small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and by this reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. While Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would wish to God, whether in a short or a long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except for these chains. The king stood up, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with him. And when they had gone aside, they began talking to one another, saying, This man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Let's bow in prayer. <clears throat> so good, Lord, to hear your word. And as we look into it now, we ask, Lord, that uh, the truth that you want us to see here from your word would come out very clearly to each one of us. So, Lord, help me to speak it as it needs to be spoken, that your anointing would be upon me to speak the truth, and that uh, all of us who listen to you speaking will see the truth as it needs to apply to us and uh, what it means for us. So give us your wisdom and guidance into this passage. We pray in your name. Amen. A judge was interviewing a woman regarding her impending divorce. And so the judge asked the woman, uh, what are the grounds for your divorce? 
And she replied, about four acres with a little home in the middle of the property. <laughs> and I said, no, Judge, no, I, no I, I mean, what's the foundation of this case? And uh, she said, well, it's made of concrete, brick and mortar. And, <laughs> and the judge, no, no, I mean, I mean wh wh what are your relations like? Well, she said, I have an aunt and uncle in town, and as well as my husband's parents. <laughs> so the judge said, well, do you, ha do you have a grudge? No, we don't. Uh, since we have a carport, we never really saw the need of one. <laughs> the judge says, ma'am, has your husband ever beat you up? And she said, yes. About twice a week he gets up earlier than I do. <laughs> so finally, in frustration, uh, the judge said, madam, why do you want a divorce? And she replied, I've never wanted a divorce. My husband wants one. He says he can't communicate with me. <laughs> Communication is important. Not only in marriage, but in all areas of life. And nowhere is that more true than in the area of sharing the gospel with others. As Christians, Jesus gave us the job of telling everyone about Jesus. Who he is, how he came to this earth, how he died to pay the penalty for our sin in our place, and how he rose again to conquer sin and death. And now, through him, how we can have our sins forgiven and be cleansed and have eternal life with him in heaven. As well as live a life of victory for the rest of our lives here on earth. That's the story. That's the gospel message. That's the story that Jesus wants us to tell to everybody. But to do that, we must communicate it in a way that it can be understood. And at a time when the person or people we are communicating with are open to hearing it. So communication is important. We're getting back this morning to our series on the book of Acts. We've been away from it for the past three, three Sundays. First of all, we had Palm Sunday and then Easter. And then last Sunday, uh, Seth was with us. So, because we're going to wait for a bit, let's just do a quick reminder as to where we are in the story of Acts, and so we can better get the context of what's being said there in chapter 26. The Apostle Paul is in custody in Caesarea and has been for a good two years. He was arrested by the Jews in Jerusalem on charges, which were false, but charges of desecrating the temple by bringing a Gentile into the inner courts of the temple. Uh, at his first hearing in Jerusalem, Paul made a statement that he was on trial for the resurrection from the dead. That comment divided the Jewish Sanhedrin, and as a Sadducee faction did not believe the resurrection in the resurrection, and the Pharisees did. Uh, so that got the Sanhedrin fighting amongst themselves. So that ended that first hearing and brought it to a, to a halt. Uh, the local Roman authorities then got Paul out of Jerusalem. Uh, to Caesarea to escape a plot by the Jews to kill Paul from ambush. So Paul got to Caesarea, and then there was another hearing at Caesarea before the Roman governor Felix, with the Jewish leaders coming from Jerusalem to Caesarea with the charges. Uh, Felix heard the charges, but then he kind of put them all off, saying he would decide the case when the commander of the Roman cohort, who had rescued Paul from the Jewish mob, uh, and taken him into custody. Uh, when he came, Felix said, we'll, we'll decide your case. Well, he never came. Uh, likely he never was asked to come. Likely Felix never even sent for him. 
So Paul stayed there in custody in Caesarea for two years until a man named Festus took over from Felix as the Roman governor of that region. Festus then reopened Paul's case and had some Jewish leaders again come to Caesarea with the charges, but they could not prove any of their charges. And then Festus asked Paul if he would be willing to go back to Jerusalem and face the Jewish Sanhedrin there again on these charges. And at that point, Paul had had enough. Uh, there was no way he was going to allow himself to be handed over to the Jews who had already tried to kill him from ambush when he was convicted of no wrongdoing. So he said, no, I'm not going to cons consent to that. So he exercised his rights as a Roman citizen and he appealed to Caesar. So the process was set in motion to get Paul to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. And then a few days later after, after that happened, uh, King Agrippa and his sister Bernice came to visit Festus in Caesarea. Uh, King Agrippa, he was the Roman ruler of the province north and east of, of Festus' territory. Um, he was given the title king as a, some kind of favor or whatever by, by the Roman authorities. Um, and there may have been some overlap between Agrippa's territory and Festus' territory. At any rate, they came for a visit. And Festus told Agrippa about Paul. And he wanted Agrippa's advice on what to tell Caesar when he sent Paul to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. Festus was having trouble putting into words exactly what the charge was. And Agrippa became interested in Paul's case. <coughs> Agrippa came from a Jewish background. Uh, he was a Jew uh, by birth. And although his family had kind of gotten into bed, so to speak, with the Romans, uh, he understood well Jewish teaching and Jewish laws and Jewish customs and the different sects and controversies among the Jewish people. He understood that all. Uh, so he told Festus he'd like to hear this, Paul. And so arrangements were made for Paul to appear before Agrippa the next day. So that brings us to chapter 26 where we picked up the story as we started reading. Most of this chapter is Paul's defense, if you will, before King Agrippa. Uh, with Festus and Agrippa's sister Bernice also being there and present and possibly some others as well. In this defense, Paul relates to Agrippa the story of his conversion. How he used to be a Pharisee, but Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and now Jesus had called him to bring the message of the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles. And then Paul related how he obeyed that heavenly vision and had been preaching that Jesus is the Messiah, proven by the fact that he rose from the dead in accordance with the Old Testament scriptures. He had been preaching this to the Jews and especially to the Gentiles ever since. And Paul went on and explained that. And then Festus concluded when he heard Paul, Festus concluded that Paul had gone stark raving mad. <laughs> but King Agrippa was plainly captivated by what Paul said and seemed anyway to feel the pull to become a Christian which he resisted at least at this point but the upshot of this hearing was verse 30 to 32 that Agrippa and Festus agreed that Paul had done nothing wrong and certainly nothing worthy of death and they concluded very interestingly that if Paul had not appealed to Caesar they could have just set him free right now but the implication from that is that Paul had appealed to Caesar. So now that had to be carried out. So that's the story of Acts 26. Uh, so let's look at what it means for us today. It has to do with sharing the gospel. 
and by implication, there is some guidance for all of us here in, in doing that wisely. So as Christians, we need to be wise in sharing the gospel with others. And we can gain some wisdom in doing this by learning from the examples of Paul in this chapter, Acts 26. So the first example that I see here is that is to tell your story of repentance when the opportunity is given. Tell your story. If you're sharing the gospel with us, tell your story of repentance when the opportunity is given. As you read this story, verse 2 following, we see Paul, when he was given opportunity to speak for himself, he embarked on a rendition of his conversion. How he came to the place where he accepted and believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah and he had risen from the dead and that he had devoted his life to following him. So as you read that, Paul started with some preliminary niceties and said he considered himself fortunate to have been be heard by King Agrippa because King Agrippa was familiar with Jewish history and laws and customs and beliefs. And he would have a greater level of understanding. So Paul started out by telling Agrippa some of his background. And that background was no secret, he said. Uh, all the Jews in Jerusalem would be familiar with it. He was trained and lived as a Pharisee, a very strict and very zealous Pharisee, to the point, and, and the point Paul is making is that as a Pharisee, he believed in the resurrection of the dead. All Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. That was the hope that they lived under for hundreds if not thousands of years, that God raised the dead. How ironic is it, Paul is saying, that he's standing on trial now because of that very belief and hope that all Pharisees had. But this was a hope that God would keep his promises which he had made to their forefathers long ago. They all lived under that hope. All of their forefathers believed and hoped. And the prophets of old foretold that God would raise up, in the words of the Old Testament, God would raise up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David, which would be the Messiah. They lived in that hope. They died in that hope. Believing that God would raise them up to be part of that when Messiah came. That was the hope all along. So Paul says, why would his own people think it incredible that God could raise the dead? <laughs> why would, do they think that incredible? And we've seen as we've gone through it that likely the Pharisees didn't object to the general belief that God raises the dead. They objected to the specific belief that God raised Jesus from the dead. But Paul saw Jesus' resurrection as convincing proof that Jesus was the Messiah that they were all waiting for. So Paul takes the time here to point out the inconsistency on the part of the Pharisees who are charging him. That God raises the dead, which they all believed in, would be consistent with the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead, which showed he was the Messiah. And he pointed out that inconsistency on the part of the Pharisees. Then Paul went on with a story of how he used to be just like them. He refused to believe that Jesus was a Messiah, went out to arrest, and even was in favor of putting to death all who followed Jesus, even to the point of going to other cities to arrest the Christians. Then Paul relates how it was on one of those missions to Damascus that he was stopped in his tracks. And as we read there, verse 13 through 18, we'll take time to read it again, you can follow along. This is now the third time that the story of Paul's conversion is recorded for us in the book of Acts. Uh, we have three accounts of Paul's 
conversion. And they're all essentially the same. Uh, the point of it here is that Paul is explaining to Agrippa how this appearance of Christ to him on the road to Damascus demonstrated clearly to him that Jesus truly had risen from the dead and that he is indeed alive and well and he's still directing his followers now from heaven. Uh, just a couple of things I'd like to point out that are unique in this account of Paul's conversion. First, Paul relates that Jesus told him, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. We don't see that in the first two, <laughs> in the first two accounts of Paul's conversion. In this last account, when Paul himself was telling the story, um, he includes that, that phrase that Jesus had said that to him. It's hard for you, Paul, to kick against the goats. Uh, that's a common, that was a common expression of that time coming from a rural setting. Country folks like us. <laughs> a goad. No, just a stick with a sharp end on one end and kind of a blunt end on the other. And the farmer would use it to get his ox to cooperate with him. It was, yeah, just a sharp end, sharp stick, which he would use to prod the oxen to get them to cooperate. If the oxen kicked against the goad, it would only drive the point of the stick in deeper and hurting him more. So the oxes cooperated with the goad. And Jesus is telling Paul here that it isn't easy to try to resist God and to fight against God and what God is doing. Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goad. You should quit and you should just follow me and submit to me. So that's unique to this story of Paul's conversion. Another unique thing about this account is how Paul summarized what Jesus told him as all coming on that Damascus road there. Uh, we know from the other accounts in Acts that some of these words and commands from Jesus came through Ananias, a disciple there in Damascus. And Paul was brought blind to Damascus. And then Ananias came and some of the stuff that Paul talks about here that Jesus told him was told to him by Jesus through Ananias uh, a few days later. But Paul here summarized it all into this one, one speech. It was all the message of Jesus to him. The point is, Jesus appeared to Paul, showing himself to be alive and well, and in fact the Messiah, and that in persecuting his followers, Paul was actually persecuting him. He was actually persecuting Jesus. But Jesus went on telling Paul that he was calling Paul for his own purposes, that is, to appoint Paul to be a minister of his, to witness to the things he had seen and will see to Jews and also more specifically to Gentiles. Jesus told Paul he would, he would be delivered from the Jews, he'd be sent to the Gentiles to tell them the story of the gospel of Jesus and to give them the opportunity to turn from their sinful lives and to come to the light of Jesus and receive the forgiveness that God is offering to everyone through Jesus Christ. So Paul told King Agrippa and Bernice and Festus here all about his experience. And then he went on to explain how it totally changed his life. Verse 19. He obeyed the heavenly vision. And then from then on, he had been telling everyone about Jesus and preaching that everyone everywhere should repent and turn to God and live according to the life of repentance. And that, Paul said, is why the Jews seized him and tried to put him to death. But Paul concluded, this is nothing more than what the Old Testament scriptures have always said and always prophesied, that the Messiah would have to suffer and die and rise again. And by reason of his resurrection, he would bring the light to both Jews and Gentiles. So, the example that Paul leaves for us here, 
in regards to sharing the gospel. Is that when we have opportunity, we should tell our story of repentance. That's what Paul did here when he was given opportunity, and I think that's a good example for us. How did we come to realize the truth about Jesus? And realize that we needed to change direction in our lives. How did we come to the place in our lives where we realize we need to place our faith in Jesus and live for him? Tell our story of repentance. I use that word repentance quite deliberately. The word repent, that means to change direction. To change direction. To realize that the way you're going is the wrong way to turn around and go the right way. That's what repentance means. So when you see that word in the Bible, that's what it's talking about. Realize you're going the wrong way, turn around, go the right way. We should share our story or the story of our repentance. How we realized we were going the wrong way and Jesus really did die and rise again to deal with my sin so he could offer cleansing and forgiveness. And then we turned around and placed our faith in Jesus and asked him for forgiveness, invited him to our hearts to be our savior and started following him and living for him. That's our story of repentance. So we need to share that story when we are given opportunity. For example, Paul leaves for us here. Share our story of repentance. How we came to realize the way we're going is wrong. We repented, we turned around, started following Jesus because we realized the truth. How did that happen for us? Share it. And then the last part of that, uh, or included in that, when we have opportunity. When we have opportunity. I think that's also very important. Um, Paul here was given a great opportunity to tell his story. He was on trial. <laughs> and this story was key to his defense at his trial. Festus and Agrippa asked him to say what he needed to say to hear his story. So Paul did. He took advantage, full advantage, and he told his story of repentance and included the full gospel message in that story. And the point for us here is to share our story when we have opportunity. <laughs> I think that's important. I don't think we are going to be very effective in spreading the gospel in, if we force the telling of our story on people who don't want to hear it, who aren't interested in hearing it. You're just out of the blue, latch onto someone and start telling the story of your repentance. I, that, that usually has the opposite effect. Uh, I've hung around non-Christians long enough to know and hear about their reactions to Christians who have done that. Uh, you know, Christians, they meant very well, but, but it makes those non-Christians want to really avoid us as Christians. And so it's important to take that when you have opportunity uh, seriously. You need to tell our story at an opportune time. When they express an interest or when you sense an openness or maybe they're asking for some advice or asking or whatever. You sense that openness there. Uh, things like that. When it's an opportune time, when God gives you an opportunity, that's the time to tell the story of your repentance. So keep your eyes and your heart open and sensitive to those opportunities. In the meantime, pray like crazy for them. And as we do that, God will likely give you an opportunity where they're going to be in a place of openness and you can tell your story. 
So the first example we see here about sharing the gospel with others is to tell our story of repentance when opportunity is given. Second thing, focus on the resurrection. Focus on the resurrection. You can't help but notice as you read this chapter how Paul brought everything back to the resurrection. And specifically how Jesus rose from the dead proving he was the Messiah. And really throughout the book of Acts, that is always the focus. Whenever any of the apostles preach the gospel, we've seen that all along through Acts. Whenever any of the apostles, not just Paul, but Peter or James or Stephen or any of them preach the gospel, Jesus' resurrection was always central to their message. Always. And those of you who have been here for this entire series through Acts, we've seen that because we've gone through it. And the reason for that is because Jesus actually did rise from the dead. Literally. Bodily. At a specific time in history. It is one of the best, if not the best, attested fact of history in the history of the world. And that historical fact is the concluding proof that Jesus is real and he's alive. And his death is the payment for the penalty of our sin. His resurrection is proof of his victory over sin and death. Friends, Jesus' resurrection is proof that he is real and alive and well today and the teachings of Christianity are true. Thus, it is only logical and sensible for everyone to place their faith in Jesus and accept him as Savior. Because he rose from the dead. That's the proof. So when you share the gospel, you may well have people wonder about, how do we know that Christianity is true? There's so many religions out there. How do you know? How do you know this one is true and and, well, what makes Christianity different or better than all the other ones out there? Well, the answer is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's the answer. That actually happened. And that shows the validity and the truth of Christianity over and above all other religions. So when people ask those kind of questions or challenge us in this way, that's the answer. Jesus rose from the dead. They may argue that, but the proofs are there if they want to dig into it and want to truly, with an open mind, find out. Skeptics over the years have tried to disprove it, and some have gone to great lengths to prove that Jesus did not rise from the dead and shut down Christianity. Skeptics have tried that many times over the years. But they usually end up becoming Christians, because as they, as they study it, they realize, no, this is true. This is, this is one of the best attests. Uh, attested facts of history that there is. Uh, the proofs are there. They might not still believe, but then it's because they choose not to for other reasons, not because the proofs aren't there. So in sharing the gospel with others, we need to focus on the resurrection because the gospel of Jesus Christ stands or falls on Jesus' resurrection. That's our foundation. And that foundation, as I said, is unshakable. Focus on the rest of his resurrection. Thirdly, realize that people have freedom to accept or reject. Realize people have freedom to accept or reject. I'm interested here in both the response of Festus and King Agrippa, verses 24 to 29. Let's read those verses. 24 to 29. While Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. 
But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a quarter, in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you'll be persuading me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short or a long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except for these chains. So it's interesting, the response there of those two guys to Paul's sharing his story of repentance and preaching the resurrection of Jesus. Festus, he concluded that, in his mind, that this Paul, you know, this is all crazy talk. He knew Paul was a very learned and educated man, but his conclusion was that all his learning and all his education had driven him insane. <laughs> we can probably relate. We likely have all known people or known of people who are so highly educated they've kind of lost touch with reality. Uh, that was Festus' reaction. That Paul totally, he, he didn't see it. He was blind to the truth. He, did, he didn't get it. Paul had just gone crazy. And Paul said, no, no, I'm not out of my mind. King Agrippa knows I'm talking about. He knows the Old Testament prophets said. And Paul was convinced that Agrippa believed the prophets. And so Paul kind of put the ball in Agrippa's court. Paul, you, you agree the, or believe the prophets, don't you, King Agrippa? I know you do. And Agrippa's response there is a bit of an enigma. Uh, in the sense that it's hard to translate it from the Greek to English. Some have translated kind of as a question. Um, are you in such a short time trying to persuade me to become a Christian? Uh, some have translated it more as a bit of a, of a softening on, a, to Agrippa, on Agrippa's part. Um, kind of like, just a little longer, Paul, and you might persuade me to become a Christian. Um, it's hard to translate from Greek to English. The most literal translation would be, in short, you are trying to make me play the Christian. That would be the literal translation from the Greek. In short, you are trying to play me, make me play the Christian. So in that sense, Agrippa was being quite noncommittal here. Uh, he wasn't going to be backed into any corner in that particular setting. But whenever I read that, I always get a bit of a feeling... I'm not sure if this is right or not, but I kind of get the bit of a feeling as I read that. Was Agrippa feeling the tug of the gospel on his heart? <laughs> Almost sounds a bit like he was. And like I said, I don't know if he was or not, but that's the feeling I get. Uh, we have no way of knowing. At any rate, Paul's response was, well, short or long, I, I wish not only you, but everyone who heard me would become a Christian like me, except for these chains. So there's kind of a pleading tone to Paul's response to that, to King Agrippa. A tone that recognized that that had to be their choice. But he kind of pleading for them to accept. The response to of Festus and Agrippa to hearing the gospel and Paul's reaction to their response gives us our third example in sharing the gospel. And that is that people have freedom to accept or reject. Well, obviously he does. <laughs> Everyone does. Just think it's important that we recognize that. People have the freedom to accept or reject. God created all of us with a free will. He doesn't force himself on anyone. Yeah. 
he has always, from the day he created Adam and Eve, given us as humans the freedom to choose, to exercise our will, to choose him or reject him. He's always given us that freedom, all humans. No one shared the gospel any clearer than the Apostle Paul did here in chapter 26. And Festus was totally blind to the truth of it. He just, he couldn't make sense of it. It made no sense to him. This is crazy talk. Paul's insane. Agrippa seemed to recognize the truth. But he wasn't ready for that kind of choice and the commitment that goes with it. That's where they were at. That, that was their choice. And notice Paul did not try to force them. He didn't ridicule them. He didn't use manipulative tactics or any such thing. He used a pleading tone, I think, at the end. I wish you'd all come to accept me or accept Jesus. But, but that was all. He recognized that they had the freedom to accept or reject. And he gave them that freedom. Paul gave them that freedom. And so should we. When we share the gospel with others, we need to always recognize that their response is their choice. And leave them free to make their choice. Not get angry, not get resentful, not get forceful, not get obnoxious, not try to manipulate. We can encourage and express our longing for them to accept, but it is their choice after all, and we need to respect that. Still keep on being their friend, still stay on friendly terms with them, still loving them, as Jesus commanded us to do, but giving them the freedom to make their choice. So therefore we see from this passage the Apostle Paul give us some good examples on sharing the gospel with others. And there's probably lots of others, other pointers we could take, but the ones that come out of this passage are these. Tell your story of repentance when opportunity is given. Focus on the resurrection. Realize people are free. Have freedom to accept or reject. As I said at the beginning, Jesus has given us the command to tell others about him. And we need to do that. We need to obey that command. But we need some pointers on how to communicate the gospel well. And these examples, I think, give us some wisdom in how to do that. So let's be on the alert for the opportunities that God gives us to share the gospel. Not force opportunities. Not force ourselves on people. But be sensitive to an openness and when it is there, take those opportunities and share the gospel with them. In the manner that we saw here today. Let's take our time of silence again and just listen to what God is saying to us personally and respond in your own heart uh, to God. I'll give you a few moments.
In response to what we heard, let's just sing a couple of choruses or songs. Uh, first of all, it's Freely, Freely. It's uh, number 447 in your hymn books if you want to follow along in your hymn books. Stand as we sing, please. God forgave my sin in Jesus' name. I've been born again in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, I come to you to share his love as he told me to. He said freely, freely you have received. Freely, freely give. Go in my name and because you believe others will No. 
Yes, we know He is. 